That Force Radio. That Force Radio is rated M for mature. Or should that be immature? Hey guys, Dustin Wint. Hey, this is Scott Snyder. This is Paul Dini. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. And you're listening to Bat Force Radio. You're listening to Bat Force Radio. This is Tom King. I write Batman Bitch. And this is Bat Force Radio. Gotham dwellers, make sure to stop everything right now and subscribe to Batforce Radio. We can be found on iTunes and SoundCloud. Don't miss out. Guaranteed to satisfy all of your Batman and DC needs. Hey everyone and welcome back to another episode of Bat Force Radio, a Batman slash DC podcast with no limits. First of all, we just want to thank everyone so far for the huge support for the past year today marks our 50th episode and we couldn't be more thrilled with the amount of support we received from the batman community and the dc community and we are just thrilled to just keep on going and we got a good one for you really good one for you tonight but let me just get the bat force members out of the way we got a uh, bat force time over in california what's up dudes we got uh, <laughs> arkham asylum lpc from dirty jersey yo we got robo ridge from robocop land detroit i ain't even gonna answer <laughs> <laughs> we got we got robin cross from the land of healthcare and maple syrup salutations we got grandpa batman from dallas texas get off my lawn <laughs> We got the Trunkler from Chicago. <laughs> Greetings. <laughs> gotta, I'm just going to bring uh, Robin in to uh, get our episode going. All right. So most comic readers, Batman readers, have that iconic writing team that is their writing team, you know, their creative team that defines their, their comics. Uh, it could be the team that was writing their favorite book when they got into comics, when they first started reading, or just the team that wrote the most iconic stories for them, the ones that stuck. Uh, there's Miller and Jansen, Grant and Brayfogle, Loeb and Sale, O'Neill and Adams, Mench and Jones. In 2011, Snyder and Capullo were added to that list. Uh, they became that creative team for a whole lot of people, including a new generation of readers that got their foot into the door of comics via DC's reboot, the New 52, uh, the first uh, reboot DC had ever done. And these guys were responsible for creating the first Batman issue number one since 1940. Uh, they brought to us The Court of Owls, Death of the Family, Zero Year, Endgame. These all came under the Snyder and Capullo banner. Uh, we have tonight one half of that creative team. Prior to the New 52, he was responsible for Gates of Gotham, The Black Mirror, Outside of Gotham, American Vampire, The Wake, Swamp Thing, Witches. I could go on all night. Uh, he's won Eisner, Harvey, Stan Lee Awards. Again, I could go on and on. Uh, recently, he's just got fired up with his new title, All-Star Batman. He is the contemporary king of Gotham. Thank you so much for being here. Scott Snyder. 
Thanks so much for that intro, dude. Thanks for having me. I'm honored. Hey, I follow you guys thank, on Instagram and everything and on Twitter. And to be on your 50th episode is a real thrill. So it honestly means a lot to me. And you guys are such hardcore fans. And you've been so supportive of me and Greg. And we noticed. So I just wanted to say thank you first. Uh, the the pleasure is all here, Scott. Thanks very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, first of absolutely. all, how have you been? I've been good. I've been really good. You know, it's a uh, it's a good time to be in the bat line right now between what Tom and David are doing, and especially seeing James, who's you know Tynan, who I've known for forever. He was my student, like you know back when he was a kid. Um, seeing him just do such great work on Detective and Hope and Rafa, you know, run Batgirl. So. It's been a great time under Mark uh, Doyle, you know, for the last couple of years. So it's, I don't know, I'm really, really proud to sort of stand shoulder to shoulder with the other books right now. It's, it's, a, it's a fun time to be a fan of, just a fan, even if I wasn't a creator, I think. Hey, uh, can we get, guys, can we get a quick round of applause for the first issue of All-Star Batman? Number one. I sent you the, uh, the second one early. It gets better and better. I'm really oh, excited God. about it. We, I honestly think it might be one of the best things that I've I've done on Batman. At least one of my favorites, easily. So thank, thank you, you for the first issue. That yeah. was, yes. was kick ass, dude. Hit we the really ground running. Yeah, Thanks. Like a... I'll spoil all kinds of stuff for you if you want. Oh, yeah. No, <laughs> <sure>. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, you know, real quick, it, it's been such a stretch. You've been um, you took the mantle on Batman and. Um, First of all, congratulations, because that must be one of the biggest pressure cookers of a job in the world, because we, we all know how adored Batman is. He's just this pop culture phenomenon. And, you know, to take on as, the, you know, the new writer for him, not only the pressure with mounting up to the past writers, but to just control continuity. And all. I mean, that is a difficult job, but you you pounded through over 50 issues of it and then come out with all-star batman a lot of us were you know it was it felt like we waited forever for this this first issue it really did and we were really we and a, a lot of us didn't know not, we had an idea but not necessarily we didn't know what to expect or you know it was just we, we had a general idea but when we all first read that pdf we were like holy shit scott is scott is this blown is away man. Not, yeah now yeah. yeah. we're cooking I thought it was fun because um Scott, you're doing something that I've wanted to see for a long time is that taking Batman outside of Gotham, you know, Gotham City is so much of a character in the stories. But I wanted to see what Batman can do when he's not when he's in unfamiliar territory. Thanks. That that was really part of the the sort of keystone for me when I figured that part out. You know, I knew that I had something and. Honestly, I think I'm going to keep him out of Gotham for all of All-Star. I think I'll just keep doing this because, yeah, man, it was, it's really, um, it was really terrifying. I mean, I always get really scared. Even now with All-Star, I had like a lot of anxiety about it just because, you know, it, it, Batman looms so large culturally and everything where, you know, my kids wear shirts, Batman, all the toys and all that, and you see it everywhere, but it looms really large for me. You know I mean? Batman meant everything to me growing up in terms of a literary hero you know living in new york batman was the first comic hero that made me feel like he lived in my city you know especially through frank stuff through dark knight returns year one i mean one being super realistic and one being like a comic book translation of all of the fears that i had as a kid dkr you know, between the Cold War and getting nuked and, and the city falling apart and gang violence, even if it looks crazy with the mutants, 
it spoke to real fears. You know, I wasn't allowed to go on the subway. I wasn't allowed to go to Central Park, you know, all this kind of stuff. Mm. And um, so Batman was this figure who, in comics, made me feel like my fears and my concerns were real and relevant and sort of being staged in a book. So, you know, to take the the book or to take the character in any way, I mean, it was terrifying. I mean, when I started... I still remember like really vividly exactly when they each stage of getting the job. Like I remember when I was, uh, I first went out to pitch for detective um, backups and that was it. It was just the backups. And Paul Dini was on the features like 2009, you know, so forever ago I was like, went to CQET and I had never met Dan DiDio or Jeff Johns or Jim Lee before. And they're like, they all want to meet with you. They like American Vampire number one and two, and they're wondering if you would like you'd be interested in pitching for one of these different projects for DC. And it was like the backups for Detective, or if that was it, I had like no, no other thing in my sights. So I went to C two E two, and Mark Doyle, who was like an assistant editor at Vertigo at the time, now the back group editor, it's like my best friend. He found me. He and his wife were on a date when they were first dating, and she was working at Marvel, and he was working at DC, and that's how I got into comics. They came to a reading I was doing for a book that was all about um, superhero stories, like uh, prose superhero stories. And going to this meeting, and I remember being like, "Oh man, you know, I just I just wanted to get a beer or something to just had an hour just." relax before I go meet these titans. But I met with them and I um, I pitched the beginning of, of Black Mirror and then they accepted it. Uh, so Mike Mertz called me into the office and I remember this vividly too. He took me into this conference room that used to have a Batman, uh, 1989 Batman movie uh, pinball machine. And he was like, listen, you feature and the backup. And I was like, yes, 100%. Tell the story about the emails. Th- that is hilarious. First started, you basically wrote like a screenplay type style is that what you're saying very detailed and yeah which which angles to, to draw from and and stuff like that versus he just pretty much wants meat and potatoes he doesn't even want that greg greg would like it if i said greg for the next 10 pages here's the basic beats of the story here's what it's about here's the feeling i need and go for it he does more finesse than i could ever do so it's not a matter of um me needing something he can't deliver but the real problem is I can't I can't feel the story if I'm not writing the dialogue and stuff for it. I don't want to do with Greg is I'll write the dialogue now and I'll give the big beats. So a script for Greg will look like, um, you know, page one, Greg, the whole feeling here should be super tense. Joker's coming back to town. So Sky looks apocalyptic. You know, everything is like pulled tight like a drum, you know, and I'll say we're looking at the GCPD. Uh, we don't know what's coming, a van is pulling up, you know, it should just feel suspenseful and something is wrong. And then he'll draw it and he can use however many panels he wants or whatever. So that's kind of how I write for Greg. When it comes down to scenes that really need to be choreographed, I'll say, okay, sorry, you know, this scene, I just want to give you all the beats. So it'll be like, Batman makes a fist, bat knuckles pop out. They're awesome. They look like spike knuckles, but they have <laughs> on them. You know what I mean? You know, then it'll be like the next few panels, just do whatever you want. It's a crazy fight. But the reason I didn't know that that's how you could also work is because Jock really likes to work full script. So Jock liked to have, like, the differences if I was writing for Jock, that same scene. Panel one, a sky, you know, that looks like an angry brow. You know, everything, everything uh, tumultuous. Panel two, the GCPD, 
a distant, you know, a medium shot. It should feel odd, like we're looking at it, like we're spying on it. Panel three in the foreground, we didn't even know, you know, uh, we were in the street, but a van pulls up, so the tire is right in front of the camera. Panel four, a foot comes out. Like, he likes that. So I've been writing that way and directing it. And when Greg came, I didn't really understand that there was, you know, and Raphael, Raphael liked that too. So I hadn't really had an experience with anybody who liked looser structure. So for him, it was just sort of like, what? What does he want? <laughs> and he he really wanted it extreme. Like nobody writes like that. In you know, I mean, like the way he he wanted it, like a, just a few page outline and everything else he would do. And I was like, there's no way. And so I was just sort of really politely at first, like Mr. Capullo. And it's so funny to look back at our first emails because we're like, oh, Mr. Capullo, what a pleasure to meet you, blah, blah, blah. Now we like text each other. We're going on this cruise, this fan cruise. And he's like, you know, uh, we're going basically to hang out together and with Sean Murphy and like all of us just party on a boat. But he's like, um, he's like, you going on, you going on the boat. He's like, I can't wait to see you. And I just like text a picture of Titanic, you know, and I'm like. We're doing its pose, you know what I mean? That literally was today, where it was like, I'm flying, Greg. Like just today, but um, look back at our first, we look. I look back at our first emails, and it's like, you know, we didn't know each other at all, and um, I was just sort of like, you know, I'm really concerned that that I you want me to write in a way I can't, and you know, I I don't know if this is gonna work because I just think that. At some point, the art is going to overpower the story that way, and I need I need to be able to do stuff. And he's like, "Well, I'm a little worried that you're." He was like, "I'm worried the way you're sending it to me." He's like, "I think that the uh, the story is going to overshadow the art." And I was like, well, "I think your art's going to overshadow the story." <laughs> and it was just like, just blew up from there. Where it was like, he was like, "Well, you know," uh, he made some comment that was sort of like. I, he made some comment that was sort of like, well, I've only been doing this for, you know, 20 years, but, da, da, da. and I was like, well, and then I like went into all these things I had won and, yeah. you know, like, da, 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 and this is my credentials. And he's like, well, he emailed me. He's like, well, your mother, I'm sure your mother is very proud of you. I know I'm like, she is proud of me, you asshole. <laughs> and then I called, I called Dan Dio and I was just like, one of us is going to have to leave this book. And like, you know, this is not happening. Like I haven't even, I'm not even, you know, and what really happened was Greg, I think it was his wife, honestly, Jamie, who's so cool. Um, and now we're all like family, you know, I mean, we hang out all the time. We just went to Boston together. And like I said, they're coming to stay with us when they come to New York. They're going to stay at our house for a bit. And then we're going on this cruise. And so we plan our year around each other a lot. Um, but she was like, just call him and, and just do some of the work. And so he showed me some of his designs and I told him what the story was about to me and like why it meant something to me and, and, and you know what it was and we just totally clicked and from that point forward from that very first couple and that was all like within a week or two you know so we started to really get along okay and then it was by issue five or three or four or five where we really started to get cemented together where we started to give each other room to do crazy stuff and when he came up with that turning issue five because i i gave him all these suggestions where i'm like Whatever you want to do, I just want it to feel disorienting. I'd love it to be like sideways or fractured or whatever. Mm -hmm. And he's like, what if we just turn the whole book? And I'm like, 100%, that's awesome, let's do it. 
Um, and DC really didn't want us to do it. And so we wound up sticking up for each other. He wrote this like really impassioned email quoting like Steve Jobs and all this stuff. <laughs> he's like, he really did. He's like, he's like, Steve Jobs once said, you know, like, you, you must always be foolish. And I was like, yeah, man, what he said, what he said. I'm like, oh, okay, I'm really glad you guys got to iron that all that stuff out really quick in the beginning. Cause you know, looking back at it, Greg, um, he, Tom McFarlane pretty much just let him do whatever he wanted to do for the past 20 years when he was working on Spawn and Haunt and whatnot. And uh, he was just so used to working like that. For him to just like that for you, that was in the beginning, that was really big. And, you know, we. Oh, no, we, he was he was the much bigger person for, yeah. than I was at the beginning. But it wasn't because, like, I had some big ego. It was just because I was terrified. I mean, all what it boiled down to, and he was too, he just had a better way of, of hiding it than me. <laughs> Well, you, I mean, you you're, know, you're we, extremely passionate about your writing the same way he is about his drafting and his artwork. So, you know, it just it makes perfect sense for I, I think for it to start out like that in general. You know? And but the second I saw that about him, that he was a perfectionist with his stuff, it was like exactly why we get along. And mm-hmm. it's the only thing it's really the only thing that I ever really demand of the people that I work with, you know, um, and I don't mean demand, but I mean, that I look for in the people I work with is. You know, I'll give now, I mean, I'm used to giving people t- whatever room they're comfortable with. That's how I work now. So, for example, with Ramita, Ramita likes, is, he's just like Greg. I'm like, A, he's like a huge muscular Italian dude who's way more <laughs> tough than I am or whatever. Um, although I'll say this, like Greg's super tough. Like he could kick my ass up and down the street. But um, he's also a big softy, as is John. Like they're both super nice. When it comes to like fighting with DC, I definitely hold my own with them and that stuff too. Like I have a bad temper with all that too. So I'm definitely Tom softer. King told us. Yeah, Tom King. Uh, <laughs> he said you were suplex and bouncers and everything. Yeah, said, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that, dude. I totally. I I've had some bad moments, but more, more point of. <laughs> I forgot that. that, that so it is true. He, yeah. Well, I was mad. He said something. This bouncer said something to my wife and I was like just not in a good way in I was just in a bad mood and I was like you know I it it was great because Frank Thierry's there I don't know if you know Frank Thierry but um, dude is like the most loyal amazing friend and I forgot Tom was there and Sean and all these guys but (laughs) I just I was you know because look here's the thing I mean I'm not um I'm not Greg I'm not like a really huge like I'm not a bodybuilder and big intimidating guy but I'm not a tiny person either. And I, I grew up in the city and, you know, I mean, I grew up, I, you know, I got into my share of fights. So I have a bad temper about that stuff. And I'm, I've definitely stepped over a line a few times in comics that I've been lucky that, you know, lucky that I haven't done anything really stupid, but, um, yeah, you know, I was I was with them and they're sort of like me and this guy said something where he 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 said something as we were coming in, he just wouldn't let us into this to this place we're supposed to go into for image. It was an image thing. Um and it wasn't his fault in the long run. He just didn't have us on this list thing and I'm like that's okay, I'll just pay and he was sort of like, well, you know, uh it doesn't matter. But the the point he he, I was trying to explain to him that we're supposed to be inside because it was part of the, it was part of the deal that we're supposed to go in and sign things and stuff. And he just wasn't listening. And he, he made a comment to my wife where she was trying to explain. And he said something where he was like, 
you know, hang on, sweetheart, da 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 da, you know, or whatever. And I just sort of was like, what'd you say? He's like, what'd you say? And I was like, and I was just like, you know, I got really, <laughs> he would have killed me. But <laughs> Thierry, it was funny. All those guys stuck up for, you know, they were all there. They're all good friends. Thierry was funny. He's like, I just want you to know something. And he looks like a Dick Tracy villain. He's so awesome. If you, if you know <laughs> Dick Tracy, the last real New Yorker. He's got the Staten Island accent, you know. Even though he's from, he's from like near Coney Island. He's like, he's like, uh, you fight this man, you're fighting two men. And I was like, thank you, thank you. <laughs> that is an old school thing to say. <laughs> yeah, he's great. But anyway, the the whole point is, um, you know, Greg for for john john likes similar writing so what i'll do is i'll be like pages one to eight here's what i need to happen and i'll go through it and it's very all the emotional stuff is really there where i'm like this scene feels like this it feels like a hitchcock scene it's really tense we're in this layer in the underneath the russian tea room it's the so i'll give i'll give them all that direction but i don't say like panel one close on or panel two jock still likes that so i do that for him i work differently for each however the artist wants to work like sean likes a murphy likes a combination of that stuff but the one thing that really gets me excited is when you go to work and you have somebody who's a perfectionist and really passionate about what they do because it makes you want to give them more and more room and just do whatever they want on the page because you give them the room and they just explode and make stuff so much better than you could mm. um, with your own direction that it becomes this truly inspiring sort of collaborative relationship and I really do feel very lucky to wor have worked with the people I've worked with and to be working with the people I'm working with because I think you can see like once I really like working with somebody too I usually circle back to them over and over and over again too. Yeah, I love how you keep them all in the loop too. Like you really know how to uh, draft all, you know, the well, the best in the business because DC does have the best artists in the game, pretty much. And you pretty much got them all on the All Star Batman roster. Uh, <laughs> you seem to, and I don't know if it's on on purpose or what, but it seems like you pick or you team up with specific artists for the feel of each specific issue. Is that true? It is, but it's actually. I also I also sort of construct the stuff around them. So, for example, what's an issue that's like a one by somebody who's sort of off the beaten path? Like, well, um, like okay, you were going with Capullo for the main you know story of Batman, but then for forty four you brought in Jock. That's a great was... example. Yeah. Okay. So, for example, what happened was I knew that Capullo needed to get ahead, and he was starting to get run down, right? And I knew I wanted to do one that was sort of a secret history of Mister Bloom and. If it wasn't his origin, then it was about what he means and what he's about. And so I looked around, and and Jock was like, you know, I'd I'd like to do it, and and Greg loves Jock, so I was like, all right, let's do it. And then it became, well, Jock, how do you want to do it? And I had two different stories, and the story that I would have told with Greg was more um, in the present, and it was more um, in the spirit of what was already happening in the book. So. It was um, Duke investigates who this person was and, you know, winds up almost killed by Bloom's minions. But along the way, he discovers what what Bloom was about in terms of he goes back to this old part of the neighborhood that he knew where his friend was, you know, um, uh, was killed. And so it was the same story, but it was told completely differently in a way that would suit Greg that was much more sort of um, – give him it would give him the stuff that he likes to draw um if he had said to me I, I, listen i like the second version 
which was more gritty, then I, I would have said, let's try it then. But the point, I guess the thing I'm getting at is that um, I try I try to tailor the story to what the artist wants to draw. And I really love versatility in writers like that I admire. So for example, Jason Aaron is just one of the best at this, right? So <laughs> Jason Aaron can write for, you know, um, uh, Jason Latour. And he, he th- that's the reason Southern Bastards is so great because it suits both of them so well. Like it, Jason is writing for Jason. And, you know, and then yet on the other hand, he can write for, you know, Assad Ribic on Thor and write a completely different kind of story. And yet I can still see that that's Jason because certain things about uh, certain things about the abuses of power, about fighting a system are part of his um, are part of his sort of, I guess, lexicon and are always there when you read his stuff because he's passionate about that stuff. So for me, I, I try and emulate that, um, that sort of mode, you know, as a writer and say, it's not so much about sort of writing a story and then finding an artist to fit it. It's sort of thinking about, I know what the story is and I have an elastic way of approaching it. And I can think of, well, who's available? What would be really cool for the series? Okay, let me try something wildly different and just pu- always pushing yourself. So when I approached each artist for All Star, I asked them which villain they wanted to do. I didn't assign them a villain or something like that. So Paul Pope was all like either Joker or Mad Hatter, right? And I'm like, both of those could be amazing with him. And I'm, I still haven't quite decided because I have an idea for both. Um, Just have him send you both. I Well, I know. He, he really <laughs> wants to do Joker. He wants to do Joker. The only problem with Joker is the Joker is, is a little bit tied up with um, what Jeff wants to do with the three Joker stuff. So I can't jump that gun, but I could mm. do a story that takes place in the past mm. um, with Joker, which would be a lot of fun. Um, or if he wants to, I'd love to do a Mad Hatter story because I have an idea for Mad Hatter. But he's basically like, I want to do something scary. Sweet. He's like, I want to do something scary and trippy and just out of control that way. And so then I start thinking what villain. And so... When I approached Tulilote, you know, Lisa, she was like, I'd love to do, I want to do something sensual. I'd really love to do uh, 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 Ivy. You know, can we do it somewhere really lush? And I'm like, yeah, let's do it. Let's do it in wherever you want. Let's do it in Hawaii. Let's do it in Brazil. Let's do it wherever you want. Like, Brazil, I'm right. Cl- so, Cleveland. Right. And, right. <laughs> and so then I'll come up with a story. I'll think of what, because I have a take on the villain. I know what it's about, and then I feel like I can kind of set it anywhere or tell it in any style, hopefully, so that the artist is excited and I'm excited to collaborate, and we we sort of figure out like almost a story that's only the two of us could do together. That's sort of the challenge of All Star. After working with one artist for so long, who I'm dying to work with again, the challenge of All Star is like I want to wake up and say, now I'm telling Mr. Freeze with Jock and Francesco. Now I'm telling Catwoman with the fool Richardson and uh, and uh, Mike Heron. Now I'm telling you know uh, Poison Ivy with Tim Sale and and uh, Lisa, and that sort of constant um, renewal, you know, where every villain I want to make really scary for myself. So I try and think about if I only have one shot at this villain, what makes them scary? And so Mr. Freeze. For example, I was like, well, what makes him scary? What's scary about him is he outlasts us and he's this thing preserved in the ice. And he he sees ice in some way as this thing that tests us that says, 
life came from the ice. Life is hidden in the ice and it comes back in bacterial form. It's the oldest living things on the planet are hidden in ice and we're killing the ice, you know, and, and melting it. So what if he goes and he releases this, he gets this oldest ice core in the world with some of the first life ever on the planet from millions and millions and millions of years ago. And he wants to release it because he knows it'll kill all of us, but it'll also start life over. So then it's sort of like, all right, he's going to do that. That's fun. Well, what else can I do? How else can I bolster that? Well, okay, well, what if he has a gang and the gang is actually everybody that's been cryogenically frozen that he's now revived. So it's almost like his gang of people that are like him from all different eras, you know, from whatever, because they're people that have been preserved and survived the ice and all this stuff and everything. So it got me so excited to be like, okay, everything around this theme. And what if I get Jock? I'm like, Jock, do you want to show his dream of what the world will be when everything dies by ice and is reborn? Like a tree of life, you know, a whole tree of life. And he and Nora will be the Adam and Eve of this world. And he's like, yes, I would like that. So I'm like, go for it. Like now we have four pages, you know, whatever you want to do. And so it becomes like that. Does that make sense? Where it's sort of like you, yes. you get really excited to go to work with somebody that's new each time and say, what can we make? That's what one thing I you? wanted to know about your method because, you know, with All-Star, you're going to be dealing with, you know, a new rogue, like maybe one or two every two comics or something like that. And to really, I mean, you know, Batman, you've worked on Batman for five years, but these rogues, these evolving stories with rogues, you really got to get in their head. And I always wonder like, okay, when we talk to Paul Dini, you know, he's, he's like a very method writer. His wife was saying how, when he writes like Joker, he actually acts out the scripts <laughs> that he's writing and talks and stuff like that. And she can hear him and stuff. Do you kind of do that too? Are you are you like a method writer? Or well, you... I don't, I don't, I don't act it out or anything like that. I mean, I have kids in the house and all that too. So it's like, so just they think I already think I'm not cool with all What's that. What's dad doing again? I know, I know. It's funny. My little one still thinks that I like meet Batman and I tell him what to do each day. Where I'm sort of like, today you're gonna fight Mr. Freeze, and Batman's like, really? And I'm like, really? Yes. You kind of like, do. Yeah. I know, right? <laughs> you do. But um. What what my goal is is I sort of as I'm writing it I just try and I try and think of the set same thing which is just always what if I only get one crack at this like what is the thing like so for Two Face it's like okay I want to use Two Face well what's appealing to me about him what 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 makes him scary if I if someone said to you you get one chance to write Batman and never again and you can only use Two Face. How do you tell a story that's sort of something you would say, I'm proud that that's my one Batman story ever? And it's funny because doing um, Batman for so many years, I think sometimes people are like, oh, why don't you do smaller stories and you could do smaller stuff? And I always wanted to. It became like a running joke internally at DC that I kept threatening, not threatening, I kept wanting to do it. I'd be like, after this arc, I'm just going to do a few small things. <laughs> But as I was doing it, it just kept, you know, I just realized at some point it's just not how I'm built. And I am doing it on All-Star where there are these these one-shots coming up. Um, there's a, you know, Mr. Freeze, Catwoman. There's about four of them in a row that are real singular stories. Each one is really intense, you know, and, and very much my take on the villain and in continuity and all that. And then it gets big again with Sean Murphy where we do this bigger this bigger sort of five-issue thing. And then I'm, I'm going to do... Um, it's almost like my kind of DKR sort of story and then, but it's in continuity and, and then, um, 
I'm going to do a, another a Joker story, assuming the three Joker stuff is over with Lieber Mayo after that, which I can't wait. I'm really excited about that hey, one. So. Scott, just jumping on the uh, thing about you tackling all of these rogues, which is awesome. I just had a, a two-part question. One, um, the thing that Jimmy and Amanda are doing right now with Harley, does that prevent her from being in Gotham continuity? And second part would be, would you ever think about tackling that? Because I, for one, think that she still is waiting to have her epic comic story, like her part of ice. Yeah. No, that's a great question. You know, Jimmy and Amanda are really good friends. Jimmy was one of the first people who really welcomed me to DC when I was just like first starting there. And so he and Amanda have like an incredibly special place for me and Darwin and that whole crew of Thierry and them, all of them and Dave Johnson and Ben DeFeo, they were all crazy nice to me when I was coming in, um, Cully. So um, the thing I think the reason I shy away from Harley, honestly, is that two reasons. I think one is that my Joker in my mind is so evil that there's almost no room for her in my interpretation of him in terms of when she would be in the Joker stories. Cause that's when I get the most criticism or whatever for not having her in the story. Um, and my honest opinion is that he's so dark in my mind uh, or my version of him in my head is just so evil that um, it just sort of warps her outside of the comfort zone that I have for her. Um, and then meaning like, I think she's a really awesome character and that she's like our Deadpool. She's h- hilarious and funny and smart and tough and strong and irreverent and takes the piss out of everybody and my Joker, it sucks the air out of that whole thing when I use Joker. You know what I mean? He doesn't leave room for that. If you tried to tell a, you know, if she was standing next to him and she was sort of like, and, you know, I'm going to, or even told a joke, I feel like he would just cut her open from neck to, you know, and that would be the end. And it, I just don't have that. It's just my Aww. version of him in my head. <laughs> he does not have any compassion or any sympathy for anybody that he's not using and abusing viciously so it wouldn't be fair to her as a character i think to use her as a sort of parallel to him or as a as a ally to him because while i adore other versions of him like the animated series where i think he's a different he's a different sort of character there's plenty of room for for um strong characters beside him as his allies or his enemies or you know however she's played my version just doesn't it's just, there's just no atmosphere around him for it. It's all darkness, you know. Secondarily, I think using her singularly, I'd like to sometime. I really would. Um, I just haven't, you know, I think there's just such a just such a great sort of flood of stuff with her right now yeah. that I would, I would, I just, it's not my time. I feel almost like when it quiets down, I'd love to try something with her. Mm. Um, so that's really it. I mean, I would love to use her and, and, and sort of do a take on, on Harley. Um, and I have versions of her that I just really love and am inspired to read, especially Paul's, um, stuff, but I just don't, um, I haven't had, I just, it hasn't been the right time yet, you yeah. know, cause again, in the Joker stories, there wasn't room for her that would do her justice. And then, um, because yeah, I remember when reading Eternal, I thought, oh, man, how cool would it be if, like, she would pop up? Because all these other rogues are popping up and, uh, you know, just the, the flow of her and whatnot. I feel like she was just yanked out. But, uh, yeah, I, I look forward to your time with her. That's for sure. Whenever that may come. Thanks, man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, I'd, I'd love to. I'd love to, you know. I just, 
I just I'm trying to do these ones where it's like, why is each villain really scary right now? Like, what's modern about them and scary about them to me and all that stuff, you know? Yeah, you you super power for dealing with rogues and creating them because uh, the Court of Owls and Bloom are some of the best we've had in. Even I was talking to Robert Richard about uh, Skinner Sweet, and he was saying, "Oh, you think this guy's badass? You need to read some uh, Skinner <laughs> oh, Sweet." Oh man! <laughs> I wanted to turn this show into the American Vampire, but. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wrote the next thing of that actually. The uh, I wrote the thing for the anthology, and Raphael finishes Batgirl, his Batgirl arc um, in October. So we go back to AV full time in October, which I'm really excited about. We're Very doing cool. the the two big arcs that take us into the 70s. It's really crazy stuff. It's like Gus has been turned by the tongue, and he's secretly. Um, it's almost like the omen where where Bixby is now working in a cabin under the president and the VMS oh. is on the run and Travis is hanging out. He's he's become this like mercenary for them and it's really, really good. It's I mean I'm very proud of this one. And they've made a deal with the Carpathians. The VMS has made this deal with all the monsters left in the world to try and take down this thing in Nevada. That's the one thing I, I love about it is because you actually put him through different times, and then, I mean, I think the last volume I read, he was in space, and that was fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and then he goes, it when it picks up with him, he's human. So it's, he's lost. He's, like, off radar when the arc starts in the 70s, and then one of the fun things is we're bringing Jim Book back, like, the his original, the original cowboy and his brother, who was, like, hunting him back in the day, and so... He's living like off the grid in a way. I think that'll be really fun and surprising with that character. So, so was this something that came from Stephen King, or was this something you came up with? Oh no, no! Like one of the funny things with that was so, I knew Stephen King because his his son Owen um, uh, became a good friend of mine when we were both starting out as writers. And um, the funniest thing is, I didn't know it was his son. <laughs> until I made like a total faux pas where we'd been hanging out and we were friends and we were hanging out for, you know, a couple months and a few months as friends. And one day he was like, I was like, um, we almost, we were walking down the street and a car, like it was in a Pennsylvania actually by this lake house my folks have from when I was a kid. It's like a cabin. And he was like, Oh, walking on this road, you know, a car went by and he's like, Oh man, you know, that's like almost how my dad got hit by a van. I was like, that sounds just like Stephen King. He was like, yeah, it's my dad. My name's Owen King, and I'm from Maine. And I was like, shut up, dude. (laughs) And he's like, no. Can I I come over? I know. He's like, I look like him, right? And I'm from Maine, and my name is Owen King. And I was like, oh, God, I'm an idiot. And I was like, but anyway, um, you know, his dad wasn't a big, wasn't really in our orbit even then. He was kind of doing his own thing. And, and, um, what happened was um, he he had read some of the stories that I got published, and he was very kind. And uh, he he when I wrote um, American Vampire, so I got it approved at, at DC, which was this huge thing for me, and and um, was the one of the great days of my life was when I found out this was approved. So it was greenlit. I got a page rate. Everything was through. Um, and, um, it had, it had been rejected at first as well. And, you know, I had to rewrite the pitch and beg them to take another look and all this stuff. Um, but anyway, it went through and, um, I was teaching, I was adjuncting down at NYU teaching a comics course and 
um, I remember walking out, I was like in Union Square and they're like, so you're approved. So excited. Mark, it was Mark's first big thing too, Mark Doyle. And um, we were like celebrating on the phone and he's like, so all you have to do is like think of some people that you um, know, uh, you know, that could do blurbs for it and promote it. He, do you know anyone in like the horror community? And I'm like, well, I kind of maybe could ask Stephen King, but he probably will not do it. And he was like, really? And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I, I wrote Stephen King. Um, I mean, you call him Steve if you know him, but you sound like an asshole being like, well, Steve. But anyway, he, um, I wrote him and I'm like, listen, I just got this approved. I'm writing it. I'm so excited. I'm working on the first issue. Do you think, would you mind writing a blurb or like one sentence, you know, or if you could, and no worries if you can't, don't worry about it. So a couple weeks go by or weeks go by and I get this thing back from him that's like, I read the outline for your issue and I read the um, outline of the series and I think it's great and I'd love to write an issue sometime for it. Um, and you can tell them that and I'll have, I'm happy to do a blurb. And this was like a Friday afternoon Holy when shit. the office was about to close. So I wrote to them and I'm like, um, Stephen King said he'll do a blurb, <laughs> but he also said <laughs> And uh, I left this message when the office was closed on Friday and like Monday morning at like 9 a.m. on the dot, I got a call from like Karen Berger, Mark, Will Dan, like everybody and was like, did you say Stephen King said he would write an issue? <laughs> and he had never written a comic at that time, you know, too. Wow. Um, so it was like, yeah, you know, and so I spoke to him and he's like, yeah, yeah I want to write this. So he wound up writing an issue. Um but and I gave him it was basically you can see where he goes off script. I gave him all the Skinner stuff and I'm like Skinner is this you know in book are these two characters and Skinner gets blood in his eye and he winds up becoming the first American vampire and he busts out of this coffin and when he busts out of the coffin is where that story was supposed to end where I was like here are the beats you know of what I have and he kept calling and being like I'm really having fun with this I'm like going off the res that was his expression he's like I'm going off the reservation a little bit do you mind and I'm like no just keep going whatever you want <laughs> and he just kept sending stuff and it became clear that he had like five issues worth of stuff wow. and I was like oh my wow. god it's like 100 pages of stuff like what are we going to do and then they were like well why don't we just split it and you do half and he does half and I'm like this is going to be the most amazing thing it's like the best <laughs> like the dream of my life. And then I, I started writing and I'm like, this is the nightmare of my life because he's going to write way better than me <laughs> <laughs> when he leaves and it's going to tank. And I'm, my whole comics career is going to be over. Um, and it's all I've ever wanted to do. So, um, luckily that didn't happen, but no, the, the series was sort of made up before he came on, but he added a ton to it where he added, um, the whole character of Felicia, you know, I never would have thought of even making her. He added this romance between Book and Abelina, and he added the character of Will Bunting and the idea of the bookkeeper and a lot of stuff that really spawned other things for me down the line um, in terms of ideas and characters. And so he always has a dear place, like an open chair in the American vampire world to come back anytime. And we talked quite often, and he was he's very sweet about it. He liked the space arc and was really nice. Mm. I'll just That's awesome. real quick on the subject of Fuck Stephen yeah. King because I've always wondered this, and I'm it might be just me, but um, Pennywise, the Dancing Clown, and it, the old black and white photo um, with Penny in the background, you know, mm -hmm. this clown existing throughout his uh, centuries almost, and Endgame, the Joker in a black and white photo, 
Did they- oh, sure. I always wondered. Yeah, you know, it didn't. Like... No, I was gonna say it's funny because it didn't. It didn't occur to me because I. I'll be totally honest. Like I know this sounds like completely insane, but you know, I had read the book, <laughs> it because my father has the first edition still to this day wow. in hardcover. I think wow. I actually gave it to Mark. Um, um, but it didn't occur to me on the surface that there was a connection there until someone said it, and then I was honestly really proud of being able to be like, "Hey, Steve, look at this," <laughs> you know. <laughs> Yeah. and all that so yeah man i mean I'm, all his stuff is baked into my dna so i'm sure you'll see a story by me about a hotel like sometime on a you know snowy colorado what, cliff what's your, what's your favorite king book <laughs> my favorite one will have two i mean my the one that scared me the most was pet cemetery easily that's yeah. my favorite book in terms of what i think is quintessential horror like using your fears and and the boy it's funny because my friend owen is like Gage is sort of the age that Owen was when that book was written. So clearly he wrote about, you know, his fears of losing a child and all that stuff. Um, that one is my favorite as in terms of horror. The Stand is my favorite in yes, terms of nice. sort of like huge um, storytelling. And I'll tell you this, like his, his stories, both Night Shift and Skeleton Crew were hugely influential to me mm. um, and different seasons. Also in terms of learning how to craft shorter, more concise, compressed stories, you yeah. know, have you read what his uh, son's done? Um, Joe? Yeah. Yeah. I read, um, well, I read Nosferatu too and loved it. And I, I read him when he first did, um, Oh, the ghost stories. Um, uh, what is it? American Ghosts or the first book he did. And then I read um, Horns. I read, so I think I've read almost everything he's done. I read, but Owen also, you know, is a terrific writer and wrote um, uh, Double Feature was his last book, which was great. And uh, We're All in This Together was his short story collection. And he's he's done a bunch of stuff as well. They're all really talented. So That's got to be uh, a fascinating Thanksgiving dinner when they're all sitting there just talking about, well, what horror story are you writing right now? You know? <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. They're great. They're And they're just a great family, too. Owen is still one of my closest friends. And he and his, his, his wife, Kelly, is a terrific writer as well, Kelly Braffitt. Um, so they're, now, they're a very talented family. The horror uh, aspect is one that you're very, you know, you use quite a bit with your stories. And I think it works perfect for Batman. I mean, you know, with the first arc, Actually, you you know you started with uh, Black Mirror, and of all the rogues that you wrote, whether it was the Court of Owls, uh, Joker, and then Bloom, to me the one that gave me the most chills was actually James Gordon Jr. Oh, thanks. Yeah, he's he's super scary to me. You know, I mean, I'll I'll tell you the truth. Like, um, I've had a lot of up and downs with depression. Um, it's not something that I. I mean, I just think sometimes you don't take care of yourself and it's like a chemical switch that happens and you just have a lot of difficulty. And um, I try hard to take care of myself, but the when I wrote, when I came up with the idea for him, I was kind of coming off of a big bout with that. And the notion- Because he of, hadn't been in a Batman thing since like year one, is that correct? No, no, yeah, he was just the baby. And so I had to pitch DC on like, well, I'm bringing his son back. And there was some, there was some- um, resistance to it too that it would be too dark and it got killed and they said i couldn't use him and then they said i could use him and so there was a lot of back and forth it almost didn't happen um but ultimately it did and um for me he's really that 
you know, he's that character that sort of is like, uh, uh, you'll never know if I'm really as bad as you think I am, um, as a father. And I was a new father at that time. And so there was a, a ton of like real genuine, uh, pathos to him. I really loved writing him, you know, for that story because I felt like he was the one mystery that Jim Gordon could never solve. Like he's too close to it emotionally to see mm. the truth. And, you know, being the son of somebody when I started writing that, that who was, you know, two, you don't know if your child at that time, who they're really going to be, you know, you see the inklings of it, but they're still growing up. And there were a lot, you know, you have a lot of fears. What if they turn out to be a terrible person or an asshole or whatever? Or just I, I, like, I was fascinated because it also gave us more insight into Commissioner Gordon. I mean, here he is. He's the commissioner, you know, the police commissioner of Gotham City. But his biggest failure is inside his own home. He's got a son that's a, you know, a psychopath, a sociopath. And, yeah. and it really it really opened up, you know, some eyes that, you know, Everything can be a facade. Everything looks nice and perfect, but when you, once you see it on the inside, there's things that you know every every family has their skeletons. One theme that I kept finding in that story, and then also with Court of Owls, and then death in the family, and then even in you know Endgame, was that there seemed to be a common theme that sometimes the truth is much scarier than fiction. Oh yeah, and it's I'm, like. I'm... Yeah. I know the truth, but I don't. Uh, but I want to be wrong. But I know what the truth is, and that's that's one thing that I loved about uh, James Gordon Jr. Thanks. I mean, I think to me the reason that I got I so love Gotham um, City is I really feel like it's this kind of terrific antagonist where you come to Gotham and it's going to generate your big fears. That was my first sort of idea about it um, with Black Mirror. Um, and then it's kind of further articulated, I think, in Court of Owls, but, um, or in parts of Zero Year, but it, it really is, it's this place you come and it says, you think you're a hero, well, let me bring to life the things you're most afraid of and you have to face them. And if you do, maybe you'll be like Batman, be like a terrific hero, but most likely you won't. <laughs> like Most likely you'll fall down in the face of these things. So, um, you know, each arc creating something that really feels like the biggest nightmare for Batman or, or, um, you know, at whatever stage of his life he's in has been a huge, um, has been just a huge thrill. And that was sort of the first, for me, it was sort of, well, what if, what if, you know, Dick Grayson has trained for this his whole life? Um, it's something he's ready for, thinks he's ready for. And the city says, well, I'm going to change and bring your fears to life. So instead of, um, you know, Batman's villains, they're these new villains. Everything is the dealer or, uh, you know, uh, Roadrunner or Sonya Branch or all of the stuff is sort of related to his mythology, you know, and his his life and his sort of um, background as a circus, as a sort of um, nomadic character and it's saying, I dare you to put down roots. You know, I dare you because I'll, I'll, I'll terrify you with sort of every, um, every sort of element from your past that you don't want to look at. So that's James Jr. is that for Jim, where it's sort of like you're mm -hmm. so good at looking at a case empirically, looking at evidence and, and figuring something out analytically. Well, I'm going to make it so that you have no objectivity whatsoever. 
and you'll never know until it's too late. You know, Fuck, now, the, that's the, great. The way the way the way that James turned out uh, seemed to me as uh, sort of the repercussions of how devoted Jim had always been to saving Gotham. He devoted it, every time you see him, he he's always in his office into the middle of the night rather than being at home with his family. And it sort of reflects as how in saving the city day after day, how he's failed his family. And this is the repercussion of that. Yeah. And I think the thing that's so scary about James is that he says, you'll never know. Like, did I become this way because you weren't a good dad or because I'm born this way or because, you know, I'm fall or something. Right. Exactly. You'll never know. Like, and that is Gotham. Has it twisted me? Am I just your villain? And that I think, there's a humility that comes with being in Gotham that I think I return to a lot with Batman because I mean, ultimately one of the things that I think, you know, it keeps me up at night is this sense of how fast everything goes and how, you know, how scary your own mortality is in some ways. And Batman, that's like his, his strength. And it's also his, his weakness is that he's like us. He's one of the few characters that has no powers and, I think Gotham is constantly reminding him of these things. Um, so he's always, you know, on some level being reminded to be humble. And that's, I think, what, what Gotham does to all of us. Like with Court of Owls, it's saying, you might know the city right now, but remember, this is a blip in the scheme of things in time. Like mm-hmm. history itself, you know, because that was the thing. I grew up on the Lower East Side in Manhattan, and, you know, we go down to South Street Seaport, and that whole sense of, the generations that had lived there, people that had emigrated to the to, to states and the cobblestones down there and this crushing sense of sort of the lives lived that you'd never know. Mm. And also how fast it changed that you would know the city for a few years and then the people you knew moved away and the stores changed and just there was no way to conceive of Batman knowing a full city or even knowing a neighborhood for more than, you know, a few months before it changed. Um, so that whole idea, if you could weaponize that, or weaponize history, or weaponize that the ephemerality, like or the ephemeral nature of a city, and throw it at him. It would be scary, you know. It would cause him to be humble. And the same thing with you know Joker saying, "You're just mortal. I'm bigger than that. You're nothing, and everything you do is just a sand. It's nothing." And then him saying the same thing, saying Batman saying, "That's why it's important. That's why I am who I am is because I do this knowing." It's just a blip, but I still do it. Like that's, and if I changed into something like you say you are, which you're not, that it would defeat the whole purpose of what I do. Like the whole tragedy of Batman, the whole heroism of Batman is the tragedy that he's he's one of us and he will die one day. Mm-hmm. And you remind him of that and beat him down, and that that hurts. And he gets, you know, he worries that he's not good enough. But ultimately, it's that very thing I think that's the bedrock of his heroism is the fact that he he has sacrificed his life or he gives his life over and over every night, you know, to make sure that our lives mean something. He says, I might not be able to, uh, you know, get my parents back or any of that stuff in the way that I was made out of this meaningless act of violence, but I'm going to encourage you or force you almost by example to make your lives mean something, you know? Mm. And that, that, that's a lesson why I think that's why I think he's so enduring is is because it's so simple. You know, he takes something that should crush anybody that says life doesn't matter, things don't matter, things don't 
amount to anything. Your parents just get shot in an alley over nothing. Um, into my whole life is this engine of meaning, and I'm going to matter more than anything. And you need to show you you should too. And I think that's why he's so inspiring, you know. Absolutely. I always love the way you embrace Batman's relationship with Gotham City as well. I mean, spoke I'm and you know the fact that you're a native New Yorker. I grew up in Brooklyn and to see the dynamic of the city change so much and how you once said it was years ago you mentioned I think in an interview about how you always thought about these stories that have come and gone within the city and then oh, yeah. the only way for them to actually breathe is remain of existence is to write or in you know entrench those stories into something that people can reflect on one day and i think you know like i read that through gates of gotham when you put that out and i thought that was just a prime example of you embracing that like just thanks well it's funny man because as you get older you realize how you know neighborhoods and all that stuff it's just the people they don't they exist in your own imagination is something that is just the people that live there for a certain time and you're all in it together for that moment and, you know, writing Zero Year, that's where that really hit me, where at the end he gives this kind of speech where he says, this is the Gotham that we're living in right now, is this. Like, and, you know, partly it's saying this is, you know, it's, but it's also saying like these issues that we tried to put in that book, because each one is sort of different, where, you know, Endgame is very much about sort of the things that Batman helps me with when I'm really down you know i mean it's sort of all the things that it's a, it's one of the most the like sort of personal or uh stories for all of its bombast and its craziness just because it's it's about the things that i get depressed about and how you know batman's sort of facing off against them with the joker spouting them but zero year is sort of what i hope he m means to my kids and what the fears that i hope he'll protect them from in some ways so it's very much, you know, all this kind of stuff where the Red Hood gang is sort of like a twisted version of random violence or gun violence and there's terrorism and all kinds of with the Riddler and all that stuff. And at the end, he gives the speech where he's like, you know, Gotham is it's right now. It's just this thing. And, and it's just the people. And you realize like all of it, the, the neighborhoods that, you know, and the, uh, the city itself is just made up of this imagined sort of community that's people like just passing through at the same moment. And I'd say, I think that's one of the things that I think has felt so special when Greg and I are on the book or were on the book was, you know, people reading the book, um, got to see us become friends and then feel friends with the fans also. And there was a real sense of community that we were all, we were Gotham at that time together, everybody out there and us in that way that was, we were just sort of passing through together for a bit. One thing that I notice um, whenever I see you out, you know, at cons and also with Greg, too, that something that you got the quality that you guys both have is you do you bring people in as if they're just a member of this kind of like Gotham family. And, you know, I remember at Comic-Con, yes. I can't remember what summer it was, but, you know, I was walking outside and I saw Greg and uh, I had just listened to like his Kevin Smith podcast and I was like, dude, I just listened to your podcast. Like, and it was, you know, super inspirational. He talks about his history with like drinking and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, man, like, thanks so much. You know, that's really inspirational. And he like put his arm around me and then he's like, Jamie, take our picture, like without even asking. And then like he later on inside, you know, I saw you and I was like, hey, what's up? And then he comes back over and he goes, hey, this is Tom. Have you met Tom? Like, and you <laughs> like, and that's something that I've seen you do too with your fans. I've seen you kind of go out of your way to really embrace, you know, the fans. And that's something that 
you know, you don't have to do that. Not a lot of uh, a lot of writers don't do that. A lot of artists don't do that. But something that I think, and I think Gramps touched on it a little bit with you, like kind of asking about the rogues in All Star. Something that you really do is like it almost feels like you have an awareness of like us when you're writing, and something that like I feel like, you know, you you really include fans. You really include people who love this character in your writing, and I think it kind of is easily embraced when you're reading it. Um, is that something that? And then, you know, a second part of that, too, is like it's kind of funny because this past year at Comic-Con, um, it's 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 cool to see like how you handing the torch off to Tom King oh, because, yeah. you know, you were kind of living in that, you know, you, you became buddies with like some of us and we got to know you really well, not just through writing, but just seeing you in person and you're really personable. And then now you're kind of passing that torch on to Tom where you're comfortable in that role, it seems like a little bit. I know you say you have, you know, your reservations with people, but you're very open and very nice and, and caring. And so, you know, you have that. And then Tom King comes and he's like the new homecoming king that you're kind of like showing around because the funniest thing in San Diego was, um, you know, I saw Tom at uh, at a bar and I was and he like bumped into me. He like spilled his beer on me, you know, <laughs> and he was so apologetic. Like he thought it was like, you know, he spills his beer on me and I just feel all this wet on my back. And I turn around I'm like, what the fuck? And he goes, dude, I'm so sorry. Oh, my God. I spilled my beer on you. And I was like, oh, Tom, don't worry about it, man. And then I was like, we just interviewed you like a couple weeks ago. And he goes, what? And I go, yeah, bad for us. It's like, oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. OK, yeah. And then later <laughs> I saw him again. And we were talking and you can tell like he's just so excited to be there and he's not used to that kind of. Um, you know, the dynamic that you kind of had with all the fans and he's really, really getting used to it. But it's really cool to see that I think he's really taking your example of not being, a, you know, he's, he's not a dick at all. He's just oh, a no. nice he's, guy. He's yeah. a, dude, he's, mm-hmm. he's one of my close friends and he is yeah. one of the nicest people on earth. Absolutely. He's also... He's hilarious. He's hilarious. Yeah, he he's, <laughs> he's, he's also, he's just got an incredible moral compass. He's a great dude, great family, um, and a huge fan of the character, huge... And he's just a tremendous writer. I mean, I, I vet everything with him. I mean, he he and I trade pretty much every issue. So I've shown him everything coming on All-Star. I know everything, you know, and I've seen everything coming on Batman through issue 10 or 11 at this point. Um, yeah. it's, and, like handing, it's like handing over the keys of, of the Porsche to somebody and you're like, all right, dude, here you go. You <laughs> yeah, know? And he's like taking cars. perfect care of it. It's fun. I was like... And, you know, there's a lot. It was funny because I'm he called me one night. He's like, I just realized you're the only other person alive that would know what it's like to write Batman number one. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it sucks, right? It sucks. Really it sucks. Scary. Scary. Scott, do you realize that you're probably the only person that's written in canon Batman with three different personas? Mm. With yeah, Dick I Grayson. Bruce and Gordon. And Gordon, yeah. I th- no, I, th- I was thinking about that the oh, other day. I mean, you're a world record holder, right? Until Tom, I know. Tom, like Tom, Tom's on his way because Tom just wrote Alfred as Batman. I know. I saw. <laughs> I, I know. Like, well, he me, like, do you think this is is this is this too silly? I'm like, dude, there's no too silly. You just go. <laughs> dude, I wanted. That's. I loved it. Yeah. And an issue is it, yeah. He's he's. I'm very glad everyone's being so nice to him too, you know, as fans, because they should, because he loves the character and he, it's a really scary thing to come on to Batman and suddenly have this humongous audience. And I can tell you, you know, um, when I started on Batman and I had, you know, very few followers and very few, and everyone was sort of like, who's this guy and who's Capullo or it's going to be nineties and just all this stuff, you know, it's really, it's really spooky, but the fact that the 
Gotham fans are the best fans in the world. And I mean that like on my kids' lives and the fact that they've embraced them the way I told them, I'm like, dude, they're going to embrace you. They're going to embrace you. Just have fun, go nuts. Like make sure you're having, make sure you're embracing Batman as winning. Like, cause that's, I don't mean winning in a corny way. I mean like show how much you love him. Like he's, he's winning like in life as a character. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, cause it's another funny thing. I was like trying to explain to him. I'm like, and he knows this too, but it's sort of like um, people always joke, like, "Well, who who wins?" You know, Batman. He always wins, whether it's like Batman versus whoever, or it's like you know Hulk versus Spider Man. Batman wins. It's always you know Batman wins no matter who's fighting. <laughs> but the thing that's great about him winning is because he is this example to us of th- of a character who overcomes you know tragedy. So the winning has like a really deep. I think, you know, it hits a real nerve. So you want to see him win, even if it's in a silly way, because he's the character who is us overcoming, you know, uh, real tragedy and challenges all the time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, you know that, but then it's really hard when you get on Batman to do it because you're afraid that you're not going to make him dark enough or you're not going to make him uh, serious enough. So any example of like a celebratory sort of win or fun at first you get really nervous, you know? And so I was like, Tom, he's like, I want to make him sitting like, cause they always say he can't sit. So I want to put him in an ejection <laughs> chair. And I'm like, then how do you even say, I'd have to be like, Batman doesn't sit like as he sit, you know, or whatever, you know, like just go for it. And so he's really having fun, I think now and enjoying himself. And he's yeah, just, I couldn't be happier for him. And, and it's great. Cause you know, we're not competitive at all. I mean, I'll be honest, like when I was leaving and they were like, who, who do you think should follow you? There's always part of you that wants like the worst writer in the world to follow you. (laughs) Look like a total genius. But um, at the end of the day, you love the character too much, you know, Mm -hmm. because it's sort of like, what am I going to do? Do I want to have a year where I'm reading shitty Batman? No, I don't. I want to be able to go to the store and pick up a Batman I'm excited about and you know, Tom to me at that time was, was like probably the best up and coming writer in comics. And so I was pretty vocal internally about pushing for him as well. And I'm just really, really, um, proud of, of how we all collaborate and, and we really are all good friends on these books. I mean, it sounds hokey, but it's true. I mean, I, I don't think it's hard to see that there's a genuine, uh, that that's genuine and that James is coming over here tomorrow night to stay mm-hmm. over at my house, not because we're working, but because he's in town. So he's going to come visit with my kids and me and Jeannie and hang out and we're going to go in that little hot tub and relax and do nothing and whatever. And then, you know, and then I'm going on the cruise because Greg's going on it or and Tom is coming up to visit in October and we're going to plan some stuff. And so, I mean, we all, we really like each other, you know, it's not, it's not fake. Like we, we, I respect Tom. I send him everything I write. He's the, one of the first, he and James and Josh Williamson and Steve Orlando, we all trade constantly, you know, um, I show them all the stuff to make sure it's good enough. And, you know, um, I don't know. We're good. We're good. We're good. Um, well, there's a good spirit among, among all of us, I think right now. So yeah, no, it, it, I'm very glad that he's, he's the one doing it. And you know, I'm, I'm very proud of him. Yeah. This is Selena Kyle. Some call me Catwoman, 
And when I'm not pulling the perfect crime snatching diamonds, along with Batman's heart all over Gotham, I'm curled up next to my kitty and listening to Bat Force Radio. So speaking of fellow writers, and I have to ask because we're a bunch of Frank Miller junkies on here as well. What's your relationship like? Would you guys converse being that he's on Dark Knight 3 right now? Or because, uh, you know. Yeah, I've, I have. You know, I mean, we don't converse like I don't. He, he doesn't really email. He has an assistant who's yeah. awesome, Selene, who emails for him. Um, but when we're, you know, she's great, and we email quite frequently, um, or or relatively frequently. Um, and uh, whenever we're at the same thing or whatever, like you know, when we're at a con or we went to the Suicide Squad premiere and he was there and we were there, we always catch up. And he asks about what I'm doing, and I tell him, and we joke around. And you know, I'm really, really honored that mm. to call him a friend. You know, at this point, and. You know, I, there was a, a really there was a moment when we 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 spoke more often. I think early on, where I was thinking I'd I'd do the Dark Knight three stuff with Brian and him yeah. at the beginning, and it just became something where at that time Frank really wanted to work on it closely and draw stuff, and it meant coming into the city and working in the city quite a few days a week. And Brian, um, he doesn't have kids and he could come into the city and from Chicago and stay here and spend a week with Frank at a time and, um, really develop the story. And I just was incapable of doing that. And it was, it was really hard to be like, I don't think I can do this one, but, um, I just couldn't, I knew I wouldn't be doing them any justice and they were super nice about it. And, and they were great. They invited me in a couple of times to be like, do you want to do something for Dark Knight? It just was always bad timing with mm-hmm. stuff where I was finishing up with Greg and trying to really, you know, nail issue 50 or something like that at one point. <laughs> and so um, it was it was more of a thing where it was like you guys know and they knew each other really well for a long time. And I don't know, I just didn't want to be a third wheel that like could never make it into the city and and do anything with them. So but um I will tell you this tomorrow I got, I got a very nice, I got a sketch from him in Boston, which I was really, I saw that you bastard. And so tomorrow, actually literally tomorrow, um, the guy who does his, his art stuff, um, uh, I'm working with him too for, uh, just to help with cons and, you know, I told him he, he knows what a big Frank fan I am. And so he told Frank, cause we were both at Boston and so they came up with the idea of as a, a sort of a welcome to the club. I'm, they're giving me a, like a eight by 11 Frank thing. So it comes here tomorrow. Wow. I'm like waiting by the door for it. Frame wow. it. <laughs> it's, Dude. Tweet that bad boy I'll, I'll, I will, I'll take a picture and send it to you, but it's yeah. Frank. Oh, it's a uh, Bruce and Carrie. It's like, it's, <sighs> It's from this year, but it's just gorgeous. I'm really wow. excited. Wow. Is... Yeah, they sent me a picture. And it's... Can you pass it's... along our love and respect to him? Yeah. Seriously. Oh, dude, of course. He's, <laughs> you know, you'll never hear anything but, but, um, you know, love for me, for Frank. Like his, his, um, work made me want to write in the first place. And, you know, there are things he's, he's, he's done that just changed my life, you know? And so, it's uh, you. I've never geeked out ever in my life when Dan DiDio told me before I knew there was going to be a Dark Knight three. The first time I met him, Dan DiDio was like, "Listen, he's like, how about this? How about I set up a dinner 
with you and Frank Miller. It was the biggest, it was more geeked out than I've ever been. I was like, oh my God, oh my God, what if he doesn't like me? What if, what if, what if, we, what if he punches me in the face because I redid, you know, Batman's Origin and it's not year one and da da da. Because he told me, Dan's like, you know, he's been reading Zero Year and stuff. And I'm like, oh my wow. God, he's hated. Wow. So anyway, no pressure so we there, go right, out. <laughs> I know, right? So we go out and uh, we go to this bar right by his house, uh, right by in Hell's Kitchen. And, um, he walks in and he's wearing his hat. So I and like immediately I saw his hat and I was like, as he was walking in the door in the silhouette and I'm like, Oh God. <laughs> and he comes over and he literally the first thing he said, I think you probably heard me say this somewhere, but he was like, he was like, Hey, he's like, how are you doing? And I was like, Oh, Mr. Miller, it's just such an honor. You're, you know, mean, it means the world to me. You met with me and, you know, thank you so much for, for, um, for checking out anything I've done. He's like, I like it. He's like, you gave Bruce a good goddamn haircut for once. (laughs) 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 Can I put on my tombstone? Can we just be like on my grave? And he was great. We talked for a long time and he was, he, he, we really, you know, he, he asked me why I was doing it. And I told him and I was like, it's for my kids and it's this. And, you know, you made Batman a hero who stood up to all the things that I was afraid of as a kid, you know, in year one and, and, and in dark Knight returns and I can never touch the hem of what you did, but you know, my kids are afraid of different things. Like my kid, for example, you know, one of the things that inspired me to do zero year, not to get like two off the trail, but my kid at his school, they have these, these drills. It's like lockdown drills. They don't say it's shooter drills, but it's shooter drills, like clearly. Mm. Um, and one day he was getting water. This was a couple of years ago. Uh, he's like, you know, four or five years old at the time. And uh, they had a drill and they didn't realize he was in the hallway. Um, so they locked the doors and the alarm went and uh, he was terrified. He's like, you know, kid, little kid. And so for the rest of the year, he would not go uh, to school without a thermos. He never would go get water. He did not ever want to go out and get a drink of water because he was afraid of getting locked in the hallway. And it made me feel like, you know, he doesn't, he's not afraid of the things that I was afraid of as a kid. His concerns are not, you know, urban decay and, you know, gangs or Central Park being dangerous and a sense of the city being overrun with, you know, crime. It, his His fears are bigger we're more connected now to each other his fears have to do with these vague notions of of terrorism and cataclysmic events and viruses and post-apocalypse like those are his fears are more this gun violence and and so can i do a story that approached so i was telling frank and frank he was just like you know totally supportive and responding to it and all of that he was just terrific and that's when he was the one that was like well i'm working on a third dark night and i was like what are you talking about? he's like i'm working on it and he's like and i might need some help and i was like wow what wow. are you talking about i really i was like you know your heart is like bum, 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 bum. so it's like michael jordan told, asking you to be on this team or something like that. well i told him i said listen i'll tell you this i will whatever help you need i would do for free invisibly like if you want help behind the scenes, I'll help you. If you want help publicly, I'll help you. Whatever you would like, like anything. It would be an honor, like to help in any capacity. And then what what happened with the basically the way the project shaped out, it just the I it is terrible as it is to say, I just couldn't 
I couldn't give the amount that Brian could give for it at all just because of really family stuff. It wasn't even my own work. I just couldn't mm. be in the city all day. I I pick my kids up and take them to school and it takes me two hours to get into the city and back from where I live and rush hour just was, I mean, there's just no way, you know what I mean? Yeah. So, um, it was really hard, but I'm extremely proud of Bri and, and him for what they're doing with it. And, you know, you, I think you can see Frank getting, just doing so well and, and really thriving right now. I'm really, you know, give them tremendous credit and I'm just really, you know, uh, excited to support them with it because they're just, they're both friends and Brian is a very good friend at this point. And, uh, you know, he's been a friend since I started at DC, but to see what he's been able to do both wonder woman and with that, and he's just, I don't know, he's, I'm, I'm a very lucky guy to know them. I tell you what, Scott, you bring Frank and you come to Texas and barbecue and beers on me. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We're in the same same stable sort of in terms of con planning stuff. So maybe we'll both wind up there at Dallas or something like that. You know, please Scott. Um, I wanted to know, you mentioned, um, a little bit about, um, you know, talking to Dan and, and, you know, um, pitching, uh, you know, the original detective run and all that. What, how, how did, uh, all-star shape up as far as were you kind of given the freedom it's like hey scott you're done with the main title you got some breathing room what would you like to do next or was it something that you kind of had to pitch you know or was it a combination of both it was a combination i mean at first they really wanted me to just stay on batman honestly um before <laughs> that when they said it was a double ship and all of that stuff and you know um there was definitely a tense period where I was really unsure of what to do because I had always been like, I'm going to leave when Greg leaves and figure something else out. I'm not sure what to do. And then they were doing this double ship and that made it really easy where I was like, I'm not doing a double ship. I just (laughs) can't do that. And even if I could do it, I just felt I would do it on a different character. The idea of going on to a Batman book that was double ship when I had had so much more time to, to craft stuff. Um, I knew, I just thought my, my stuff wouldn't be as good under that duress. Cause I just, I don't work as well like that. So I just got very concerned and they were sort of like, well, you'll be making double the money and you know, all that stuff. And I was like, I just can't do it. I, I'm telling you, it would just, it would, it wouldn't be as good. And ultimately you get less for your, your buck. Meaning I think the fans would, would start reading it and know that I wasn't doing as good a job as I had done. And it would start to, my relationship with them would start to deteriorate. And, um, so there was sort of a tense moment where I think DC was pretty unhappy with me and I was unhappy with them for, for a moment where it was sort of like, well, what, what am I supposed to do? And I thought a lot about, do I leave? Do I go to Marvel? Do I just do image stuff? Like, what, do I, what am I going to do? And I spoke to Greg a lot because he was like, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't do something with a singular artist because he's like, I feel like it'll just get compared to what we did. And whether you do better or worse, you just don't want that pressure. And I was like, no, I agree. And then I had this idea where I was like, well, you know, there are all these villains I wanted to use that I haven't. And, you know, I've, I had so much fun working with different artists when I got a chance to work on the side of Greg and it always challenged me so much. Um, that I was like, well, what if I did the series where it brought in art that couldn't do double ship? So it would be almost like a, a sort of foil to what was happening with Rebirth and not in a competitive way, but in a way that gave readers a very different, two different sorts of Batman books. Because then it would give Tom plenty of room to do the kind of muscular, 
you know, um, real uh, sort of issue by issue grind Batman, which needs to happen, which I had done. Um, and, you know, let him give him plenty of room in Gotham to do great stuff. But but it's that it's that kind of schedule that's very much like this leads to this leads to this leads to this. Like we did that, too. You know, it was like this story leads to this story leads to this story leads to this story, um, that diagonal line. And instead do something that would give me room to just sort of bust out and try really wild Batman stuff. And it just immediately was like, that's what I want to do. Like, that's, that's what I want to do. And, um, I had already been thinking about doing that as Batman itself. So that was, that was the other thing that kind of caused a bit of a hiccup with DC was that I had approached a couple of the artists like Sean Murphy and John and, um, uh, uh, Jock and, and Paul Pope. And I had been like, what if we do some Batman stuff? And they were all excited. So then when they said double ship, I was like, none of these people can do double ship and I don't want to do that to anybody. And they were like, well, you can intercut, like you can do issues with them and then other people, or we can supplement it. You can just do double the, one of the scariest and best and complicated characters in, you know, literature. And then all of it leads to this big thing I'm doing with Sean, where it's kind of like the last villain is sort of a mystery villain that I think you won't, hopefully you won't see coming in some ways and and is almost like a it starts in a futuristic dkr kind of um story but it's our version it's my it's my it's it almost plays off of the story we did in detective 27 where yes it opens with bruce wayne in this blasted america driving in a huge bat dune buggy with these humongous monster tires and he is the head of the Joker, like in a jar on the thing, and it talks to him. It's chained to his waist. <laughs> That's amazing. And for some reason, it's like, turn here. And he's like, shut up. You know? <laughs> but it's like, it's like this Mad Max. It's totally like future Mad Max world Batman insanity. And uh, it opens with that. And then he's like, he's looking for food and scavenging and like, you know, the Red Rock kind of blasted area. And, and he doesn't even know why he's there and how he got there. He doesn't remember how he wound up here. He's young, though, in this. He's not old like DKR. And he's like, comes to kind of this, this hooded figure. And, and uh, she's like, you know, pulls her hood back. And it, she busts his dune buggy first. And he's like, what the fuck? And then she pulls her hood back. And it's Wonder Woman. But she's got this gray hair streak. Oh, shit. And she's like, why are you here, Bruce, in this future? You know, do you even know? who destroyed the whole world and he's like no and she's like you did and then that's the beginning of the whole thing that's amazing it's crazy and the joker head is like shut shut up (laughs) it's uh i love the joker head is like my favorite thing it's like originally sean's like we're gonna have the joker but he won't have arms and legs and he'll be strapped to batman's back and he'll be talking rich get dc DC collectibles in line one rich we gotta get that get those figures made man yeah so that's amazing anyway so yeah so all stars sort of came together that way where it's like one it was like it was almost like just freedom from the grind of because here's the other thing is like it's not just the schedule it's the it's the it's weird because I I gravitate towards um, how do I do the biggest craziest stuff I can so that it feels like I'm doing justice to the character because the character deserves you swinging for the fence every time. That's the way I feel, and the fans deserve it because they want to see Batman up against that stuff. Um, but the initial idea is like, oh, here's where I finally get to do my small stuff, you know, or whatever. And then I got over there and I'm like, oh, I don't want to do small stuff. But it was sort of like I want to do 
what if I don't have to do the thing where it's constantly building events for the line? We're building, you know, one story into the next and where is it going to lead? And it's, it's always like, is this one better than the last one? Is this as good as the last one? And just do freedom from that. And the freedom from that, ironically, almost, I think, led me to start writing some of the stuff. I'm, I mean, I'm really, really proud of the, where this Two-Face story goes. And I think it's up there with my best stuff. And um, it's just so different, you know. And it, I'm so proud of this series. I really am, both for the features and the backups. I mean, sincerely, it, it, it was almost like freeing myself up from the grind made me wind up doing stuff that feels, to me, as bombastic and big and over the top but also um, just not shackled by some of the constraints of, of needing to sort of always be competing with the last thing and always be, you know, trying to build something that other books can hook into and all that all the time. Mm. Must feel very liberating at this point to just soar and do your thing now in this open world, I can imagine. And a big shout out to John Romita Jr. because uh, his, his artwork definitely complements this story. We were wondering what it was going to yep. look like, but once yeah. once we got that PDF open that you sent us, thanks again, we were like, oh, oh sure. he yeah. got it. Yeah. He, like, he, he nailed it. Oh, he's awesome, dude. He's so funny because he, you know, when we met, he I think you probably know this, but he lives like right down the street from me, which I didn't know until a couple of years ago, but he literally lives like walking distance from my house. I run by his house when I go <laughs> running. And, um, when we met to talk about the story, we went down to a bar in town and they all knew him there. And he's like, gives money to the softball team and he's super local here. You know, I just moved here like a couple of year and change ago. So I'm brand new, but they're all like, John, Johnny, hmm. you know? And, um, he was like, listen, I know Batman's your baby. We're just doing a short thing, you know? And, and, um, you know, I'll do my best and, you know, I'll just, um, I like to do the work. So, you know, you, as long as we're not, you're not late, I won't be late. And I was like, dude, I don't think you, I think we're not understanding each other because, you know, I'm not doing Batman to just keep doing Batman here. And you're not just going to do the work. Like that's not, you're a legend, dude. And I was like, everybody wants to see you do Batman. And I have been dying to work with you. And the only reason to do a book together is if we think we can make it some of the best stuff we've ever done and put it on a shelf. Like, if that isn't what you want to do and what I want to do here, then we shouldn't do this book, you know? And so he was got, he was really excited about that. And I was like, he's like, well, what do you have in mind? And I'm like, well, Two-Face. And he's like, really? With the two-tone suits and everything? I'm like, no, 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 we don't have to do a suit. And he's like, well, I don't want to do a suit. I'm like, we don't have to do a suit. <laughs> don't worry about the suit. I'm like, here's my take on him, though. And I was like, here's why he's scary, and this is what he's about. And he really he sees through us to like he sees that we have we're full of all these terrible impulses and horrible thoughts and he knows that's who we are because that's what he is and you know he's not supernatural but he has this complete um i uh, understanding of how incredibly dark we are um and you know he's proving it to batman step by step by step as batman's out of his comfort zone and he's like it's like midnight run i was like exactly like midnight run he's like, <laughs> And we just, we got along like gangbusters and his, but he's also, let me just say, like, he's very aware of the fact that he can be divisive as an artist and that some people don't like his style. And I was like, John, that's absurd. You know, you're, I, I mean, I love it and I, I adore his style from forever, from Spider-Man on and, um, for Daredevil on. And I'm like, 
you know, the goal of this is to show them why you're the only person that could do this story, you know, and, and, and to make sure that it's something that you feel like you're showing them not just, you know, why you're great, but showing them stuff that they've never seen from you before. And so we just got along great. And then he was like, well, we'll hire, if we use Danny, we can do different kinds of inks than I've done. Then we use Dean and we tell Dean, Dean's great. I talked to him a lot too. It was like, Dean can just do a whole different kind of color bomb on this thing. And we just got all excited. And John is just murdering it as is, you know, Declan and uh, Jordy are also incredible. They're, they're friends. And I just want to give a quick nod to them because they're, wait till you see issue two, I'll send you it as soon as it's, it's getting lettered this week and I'll send it to you early. But it's like, um, it opens with a page. that's like one of those photo collages. I'm like, I have an idea for a page. It's like a photo collage of Duke and he's showing it to his mother, but the, it's a splash of just the photo collage. You know, when it's like, um, a picture made up of a thousand tiny pictures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's yeah. a hat, but it's him. And I'm like, I know that sounds kind of hard, but what do you think? <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And he's like, so, you know, he's Irish. He's like, so you want, uh, I can only do British, so forget it. But he was just like, <laughs> Tom. He was like, he was basically like, so you're saying you want a picture of his face, but you want it to be like a hundred tiny comic book scenes making up his face. And I'm like, yeah, like that. And he was just like, like, let me get a point to Guinness first and we'll get right off. Daniel, what about <laughs> many pages making up his face? Exactly. Dude, exactly. I was like, like, like comics making up his face. Is that what I'm getting here? He was like, or just do a Polaroid of his face. Well, it's a good time to quit. And he did it. Here, I'm going to, I'll, I'm going to even like, I'll just, I'm going to send it to you now so you can see it while we're talking. But it's just crazy. It's, it's so good. And I'm like, you know, um, it, 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 anyway, I'm really, really honored to work with these people on this book, you know, and that's with John again, I would just say he's very aware of the fact or he, he was nervous about it. Like even the biggest people that you'd never expect to get nervous, get nervous when they go on Batman, yeah. you know, because it's sure. Batman is just always terrifying. It's the Holy Grail. All right, everyone. Well, that's going to do it for part one of this exclusive interview with our good friend Scott Snyder over here on Bat Force Radio. Make sure to subscribe to Bat Force Radio over on iTunes and or SoundCloud because part two of this Scott Snyder episode will be going up soon and you definitely don't want to miss it. Thanks again, friends. And always, good health from Gotham. Snyder. Hey, Billy.